As we come to your word, we ask indeed that it would be a light for us, for our path, how to live, that you would help us to see Jesus and his worth with great clarity, that you would help us to leave other things behind, to trust him, to see his love for us, and to know that following him will be worth it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me start with a visual aid from home. This, at the moment, is Henry's, my son, two-year-old, pride and joy, his toy. Now, to be fair, this is pretty good. Um, you click that button there, and uh, you get onto the wheels, and uh, out come the wheel nuts. There you go. And you, you then reverse the button, and uh, back in goes the wheel nuts. So this is a pathway to being part of a Formula One pit crew. Um, the roof comes off as well. You've got to remember to click the, uh, the gear into position. Let the teenagers have a look as well. Um, now, I won't do every part, but we're getting quite a lot of this at home at the moment. There comes a point in the day when actually mummy or daddy has to remove the batteries and, then, uh, and sometimes remove the whole thing. However, um, the problem with that is that uh, because this is Henry's number one go-to thing at the moment, it's like this to Henry. It is like this. So it's dinner time. Come and have some food. And Henry is like this, holding on. It's time to wash your hands. Henry's holding on. It's time to do the toilet, go to the, the potty. Henry is holding on because this is the number one thing for Henry. Now, I just want to make a small jump from Henry and this to us and the things that we hold dear in life. The things that we are holding on to in life. Because in our passage this morning, we meet a man who, because of what he is holding on to, he is unable to follow Jesus. Unless we think this is only a problem, something that will stop us starting with Jesus, the things we want to hold on to dearly in life will hinder our discipleship. They will continue to make it hard for us to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. I think it's a small jump from Henry holding this to the things that I hold dearly in life. Let's look at what Jesus says when he meets this man in these verses. 
This man who comes and bows before him and addresses him in verse 17 as good teacher and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be welcomed into heaven? What must I do to be saved is his question. That is the theme in this part of Mark's gospel. We're going to see three things that Jesus says. Implications to do with following him. Implications for starting with him. Implications for continuing with him. Implications for discipleship. Here's the first thing in verses uh, 17 down to, to 21. Following Jesus means leaving everything else you've trusted in. That's our first point from these verses. Following Jesus means leaving everything else you've trusted in. Now, when the man meets Jesus and addresses him a good teacher, there follows a discussion with Jesus about what is good. Why did you call me good? Verse 18, he says. And then he says very quickly, no one is good except God alone. And he tries to help the man to see that the answer his, to his question is not about personal goodness. Um, he tries to show the man that his law-keeping does not equal some sort of goodness ladder which will get him into heaven. The more goodness I have, the higher up the ladder I go, and eventually into heaven. Because Jesus wants him to see that no one is good except God alone. There is a gap between God and all of us, a goodness gap. And the law and our efforts to keep the law, to live a good life, can never get us across that gap. Jesus rather wants to talk to him about discipleship. And very quickly, to say to the man, do you see this in verse verse. Uh, 21, he looked at him, loved him, and said, one thing you lack, sounds positive and promising and easy, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The man asks about how to inherit eternal life, and Jesus says, it talks to him about discipleship. It's about following me and trusting me, not other things. And in that moment, he exposes the man's heart. What's in the man's heart? And the man cannot do it. He can't do it. He goes away sad. If you've gone through Mark's gospel, you will see how striking this is when out of all the people who come to Jesus and are helped, he alone goes away sad because he trusts in his wealth. We've thought about Henry holding on to this one thing, can't get him to do anything else. 
because of this? Have you heard about the monkey trap? It's not another toy that we have for Henry, but it's, it, it's a trap that has something inside it that the monkey wants inside a bottle and that the monkey will reach in with its hand, grasp the thing, and then is trapped because holding the sweet or the treat with a clenched fist means they can't get their hand back out through the neck of the bottle. The bottle is tied to something and the monkey is trapped because it won't let go. And here is this man trapped by his wealth and not able to let go and do what Jesus says is involved in discipleship. Jesus puts his finger on an issue for this man. What matters most to him? If you're old enough, you will remember that there used to be a day when there was a TV detector van. This is unbelievable for anybody under 20, but a TV detector van, drive around, and it would be able to detect homes where the TV license had not been paid. And you'd be in trouble. You'd get caught by the TV detector van. Well, a bit like that, Jesus is able to detect what is going on inside our hearts. And he puts his finger on this man, what is going on, and what is number one for this man. Now, we should just clarify that he is not saying that this is a requirement to receive eternal life for everybody, that if I give up everything and sell everything and give to charity, that I can earn my way into eternal life. We also know that he's not saying that this is a requirement on every single person, on rich people particularly, because Zacchaeus, who was rich, was not required to do of all of this. Jesus has put his finger on something in this man's life, in this man's heart. And the man is not able to do what Jesus requires. Why is Jesus able to say this? Because Jesus is not just a good teacher, but he is the son of God. The man doesn't yet see that. What is required? It is required that this man and anyone who wants to receive eternal life put Jesus first. You see, Jesus, he calls us to come to him. And when he does that, he's calling us to trust in him as king, which means at the same time, he's calling us to stop trusting in other things. Whatever so far has been number one in our lives, that thing is a God substitute. And Jesus says, I have to come number one. 
because I'm God. The man can't do it. God substitutes, whether it's wealth or other things, will stop us following Jesus. And for those who are disciples, who know Jesus as God's son, who have seen and understand what he has done for his people in going to the cross, disciples will be stopped in their discipleship by God's substitutes because they have a hold on us. It's not just that we're holding on to things, it's that those things that we hold on to have a hold on us. Why for this man was wealth so important? It's not hard to understand. He looked to his money to pay the bills, to give him the lifestyle and the comfort and the security that he enjoyed and wanted. As one uh, investment company puts it, Let's us, let us look after your money so that your money will look after you. Your money will look after you. It's starting to sound like a God. But can they always deliver that promise? Not always. You see, an idol or a God substitute is something that we look to because of what we believe it can do for us, how it can make us feel secure, looked after, or in control. How it can make us feel secure, looked after, or in control. So what are the things in North London that make us feel secure, looked after, and in control? For some, it may be relationships. For some, it may be achieving success, being the best, having recognition, success in our studies, that we are driven because we think our qualifications will deliver us the future that we need and want. For some, it may be um, exercising power, making it to the top, being the captain of the team, having that status. For some, it may be possessions, wanting the things that we think we lack, the things that we think, in the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Driven to secure these things because we think they will deliver for us. We think that they will make us secure, that they will look after us, that they will make us in control. And all the time losing sight that these things, everything that I've named, is a good gift from God. But all good things which we can turn into God's substitutes and which can take over our hearts and our lives. I think we can do a simple diagnosis on what's going on in our hearts. These are things that I find very, very helpful. Um, for starters, the whole thing of, excuse me, the whole thing of what do we spend our time looking at on our phone? 
through the day, when we rack up the hours and screen time, if that's you, like me, that'll tell us about our idols. Or, or what, what, what keeps us up at night, fretting, anxious, mind-churning? That will probably point us towards what's going on in our hearts and what our idols are. Real things, but not ultimate things. God substitutes, but a pure, poor, poor substitute, not God. Or, or what, what, what makes you say at the end of the day, I've had a good day? It may be because you're rejoicing in Jesus. It may be because um, you've got the thing that you think you need, something other than Jesus. You, you've got it. And, and life feels good at the end of the day. You've got the one thing that you thought you were lacking. Jesus wants this man and us to understand that, that following him means leaving everything else that you've trusted in. That's the first thing. The second thing to see here is that um, this is impossible for us, but possible with God's help. Do you see how the disciples respond when the man goes away sad? Verse 22, this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel, the biggest animal in Palestine, to go through the eye of a needle it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's not just hard, it's impossible. And the disciples say, who then can be saved? The discipleship that Jesus calls us to is not just hard, it's impossible for us on our own. But with God's help, it is possible. You see, the man can't do what Jesus wants, neither can we. When Jesus explains it's hard, and the disciples are wondering, and he talks about the camel, and they ask, who then can be saved? He responds and says, it's impossible for us to save ourselves. In our hearts, by nature we struggle to trust God we would rather trust our God substitutes this is our battle before we follow Jesus this is our battle after we start following Jesus left to ourselves here is something that is impossible to overcome but for the help of God the real question is not how can anyone be saved but who can save and Jesus says, God can save. God can do the impossible. And how is he doing that? Well, in this story that Mark presents for us, Jesus is on the way to the cross to make the
the impossible possible. That's how this story starts. Back in verse 17, Jesus is on his way. Don't lose sight of where he's going. As he talks to this man who, who walks away from him, he's going to the cross. He's going to the cross. The implication here is that salvation is a gift to receive humbly with empty hands and thankful hearts. So that means that other things need to be put down so that we can receive what Jesus is offering. To be saved, to put it simply, we need to be receivers, not achievers. Receivers, not achievers. Jesus' great illustration for this is in the verses before this section. Infants and babies. Nothing to give, all they can do is receive. This is how the Christian life starts. Receiving, you say to God, I can't do it. Give me the impossible. Give me salvation. To continue as disciples, we continue to receive and say, I can't do this day by day. To follow like this, to leave these things behind, to keep trusting in you and not trusting in them. I can't do this. It is impossible, but for your help. Following Jesus like this is impossible, but for the help of God. That's the second thing we see. And then thirdly, in the closing verses, this wonderful promise, following Jesus, you'll receive far more than you'll ever leave or lose for his sake. Following Jesus, you'll receive far more than you'll ever leave or lose for his sake. Peter comes to Jesus, verse 28, having heard all of this, he says, we have left everything to follow you. In that moment, at first I thought Peter was being proud, and then I wondered, actually, is he annoyed or is he just anxious? Is he bargaining with Jesus like somebody who, who says, I left my non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend for you, Jesus. Now you owe me a Christian spouse. Is he bargaining? Is he insecure? What have we got now that we've left all these things for you, Jesus? Like the person who has got to the position of giving money to the church and they've given a massive gift to the church from their paycheck and they're wondering, was that really the wise thing to do? What has that person got left? Or the person at work who following Jesus takes a moral stand in the workplace and maybe even loses their job or loses their job prospects or, or in, in social circles at school or wherever who stands up for Jesus, tells someone about Jesus maybe or just explains something about the Christian life and is cancelled. What are we left with? In that situation, what are we left with? The mission part partners that we support, they give up everything, 
give up living in the UK and all that goes with the standard of care here, health care, education, makes those sacrifices to be somewhere else for the sake of Jesus, what are they left with? Or the single person, maybe same-sex attracted or not, who wants to remain faithful to Jesus and remain celibate all these things, what do they have in common? Sacrifices in discipleship for his sake. But it's possible to be left asking, what are we left with? Here's what Jesus says to Peter in verse 29. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with the persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Why would I make these sacrifices Jesus says, because it will be worth it. Believe my promise. There will be tremendous blessings now in this life. He seems to be saying through other believers. I remember well moving to London from Glasgow and, and just what had I done? And, and my family and friends thinking, what has he done? Will he ever be seen alive again? Because that's how people think of London if you're not in London. But very, very quickly finding God's provision for me away from home in the form of other believers. People who said to me, we want to be your London parents. Brothers and sisters who said, we want to hang out with you and do stuff. This is part of God's provision is it not our experience as well family fellowship joy a richness hospitality no it won't be a bed of roses all the time jesus says that even persecution in my name will come and that's why he ends with the ultimate blessing or that the ultimate compensation, whatever we leave or lose, we will have eternal life. There will be a great reversal. Coming last in this world will mean first in his kingdom. Imagine the family that goes to, I don't know, the big theme park. All gone. 10 children, mum and dad, into the theme park, all the rides on their way in. The littlest child sees some balloons being sold. I want a balloon. No, that's not going to work right now. Let's go. And they go through, spend the whole day, do absolutely everything. Had everything. The best time in the car on the way home, the little child. I didn't get a balloon. You know, we can be holding on and so focused to the thing that we think we need the most, the thing we don't have. 
And yet, as Christians, we lose sight of everything that God is giving us in the gospel now and in the future. Jesus says, it will be worth it to follow me. And let's not lose sight of what we're told about Jesus' response to this, to this man in all his misunderstandings, in all his confusion, in, in his compromised position. How did Jesus look at the man? He looked at him and loved him and said, give this up, come and follow me. Hear and imagine Jesus saying that again, because this call continues throughout the Christian life. But what we can't doubt is his love for us. His going to the cross to secure the thing we need the most. He says, trust me in everything else. Let's pray. Father, please, would you work in our hearts the miracle of salvation that would help us to turn away from trusting in other things and trusting in Jesus, that we might live for him day by day, that we might deny ourselves and know his love and that his trust, that trust in him will not be in vain. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.